0: I'm Joe Reed, and this is a bonus edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine.
1: This Naomi, Hester said, she's your friend? Matthew shrugged as only a teenager can. I've known her since we were like six. Not a direct answer, but she'd allow it. How long has she been missing? For like a week? Like six? Like a week? It drove Hester crazy, the likes, the you knows, but now was hardly the time. Did you try to call her? I don't know her phone number. Are the police looking for her? Teenage shrug. Did you talk to her parents? She lives with her dad. Did you speak to her dad? He made a face as though that was the most ridiculous thing imaginable. So how do you know she's not sick or away on vacation or something? No reply. What makes you think she's missing?
0: You just heard actor Steven Webber reading Harlan Coben's latest book, The Boy from the Woods. Stephen Weber has a long resume on stage, screen, and television. He became best known to most people when he played the part of Brian on the television show Wings in the 1990s. Since then, he's appeared in scores of television shows and movies, including Stephen King's Desperation, Brothers and Sisters, NCIS New Orleans, and most recently, playing a stoner grandfather on the series Indebted. His movie career is equally varied, from The Flamingo Kid, to leaving Las Vegas, to Crawl Space, to providing the voice in a number of animated films. I'm just touching on the surface of his work. His resume runs on for pages. He's a busy actor who's known to work on multiple projects at the same time, So how did he begin to record audiobooks and record them fairly regularly with some 40 titles under his belt? What attracted him to the world of
1: audiobooks? I'd always liked the idea of recording. I always have been a fan of um, classic radio and even growing up had uh, record albums of all the old shows from Jack Benny to, you know, Gangbusters and all that stuff and really, really loved the whole aesthetic of it. The idea of holding a cupped hand to your ear or standing next to a big microphone, all that, all that stuff. All that, <laughs> that, Foley sound effects. And at the beginning of my career to make ends meet, I somehow fell into doing uh, looping for foreign films and um, replacing dialogue for actors if they were cursing. I had to imitate their voices and... Uh, And fill in, you know, if they dropped an F-bomb, I would have to say fudge or something like that. And so, again, that got me more involved in recording. And I can't remember what the first book I did, but um, I just, again, love the whole idea. It's very basic and very old-fashioned, retro. And I, I just love what I'm doing now, sitting in a cool, quiet studio, speaking into a microphone, but then I found doing audiobooks, the more I did them and I'm and it's happening right now. the more I do them, the more I understand what needs to be done. and of course, I've always been a fan of of audiobooks myself.
0: How do you go about preparing for narrating an audiobook?
1: Unfortunately, the reality is I don't. Um, I have to be candid here. I mostly do cold reads i know what the book is about i try to read a summary and um if i have the time i will glance through it to see if i'm going to get in trouble or not uh you know for instance if i start a character and then i realize halfway through that that character has had a lisp or has had a, you know a thick romanian accent then i i think uh oh, what a schmuck i should have pre-read it but frequently uh, the books I read are 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 lengthy <laughs> and uh, since I have a limited attention span I just I just go for it I've had some success with this uh, rather lazy method but on the other hand I like to think that it provides some spontaneity and there's genuine excitement <laughs> for me but the thing about the writing is that it is like a map when you read it's Following a map, and you pretty much know where you're going, or know how to how to walk the route. Put it that way. So I, I really don't do much preparation.
0: You've narrated a bunch of Harlan Coben's books. Have you my Have favorite.
1: you t- talked to him? We actually became friends. I think I actually read um, one of his books on my own, and in the back of the book, there's a. Um, an email address where one could contact him. So I sent him a fan letter, and he responded to my shock. And I said, my God, I'd love to be able to read one of your books. And so one thing led to another, and I started reading his, his audiobooks. And we have spoken a little bit about the characters. I realize now, having done a bunch of them, that my initial approaches to them probably could have used more preparation. I mean, uh, I would love to go back and re-record uh, the first few books uh, the, in the Myron Bolotar series. There's a couple of characters in there where I just did not have a handle on them, and I would love to redo them. Uh, one of them is a great character named Wynn, and Wynne is this super wealthy sociopath who's also a bit of a Master at all these defense disciplines and martial arts, and and he's a real scary and lovable companion to Myron Bolotar in his adventures, but I rendered him in a kind of a cartoonish, almost Thurston Howell the third way, and I, I sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, what. I do that. I I should have done it better. But he and I really have not spoken that much about uh, the roles. He seems to be happy with with what I'm doing. And I'll just I'll just take that.
0: Now, keeping the voices straight throughout a series, that becomes difficult. Or did you adjust them in the case of Wynn a little bit as, as you went on?
1: What happens? I find that they're more or less steady. The opening Impressions are a little stronger than what happens gradually later. They, they all seem to uh, become a little more relaxed. What I found for me, what works for me, is that when playing a, a bunch of characters, even in, in one scene, and, and I play uh, male characters and female characters and characters with accents and young characters and old characters, instead of affecting a broad choice, uh you know, speaking like this, for instance I, I it's supposed to be feminine, but not really i i I just uh, do th- things uh, with cadence and with uh, a little differences in pitch, in uh, pronunciation to affect a difference that I think expresses the character the character's gender or age or even size, you know. but it can get a little confusing if there are a bunch of characters interacting especially for a long period of time in one scene or in one chapter. That could be a little challenging. But look, that's the beauty of having great directors and great engineers. We stop and we assess and we go back and we figure it out and try to make it as clear as possible.
0: I recently listened to the latest one that you did of Coben's The Boy from the Woods, which was exactly what I needed because, you know, sometimes you're obsessively listening to podcasts these days and to be able to fall into that book was just such a gift. So that was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. But the voices were wonderful. I mean, Hester, what a character
1: you created there. <laughs> Hester, yeah. Hester is definitely a combination of people that I have I grew up with and people that I've been around my whole life.
0: Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really and, recognized yeah. her. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, that incredibly strong woman, who's been around, but there's still kind of a gooey heart inside, you know, gooey center. She's tough. You don't mess with her. She was a frequent legal expert on cable news, and two nights a week, famed defense attorney Hester Crimstein had her own segment on this very network called Crimstein on Crime. The punch video was already over, and hipster Rick Chad was foaming at the mouth. See? Spittle flew out of his mouth and found a home in his beard. It's clear as day, your rich client attacked a homeless man for no reason. You don't know what went on before that tape rolled. It makes no difference. Sure it does. That's why we have a system of justice, so that vigilantes like you don't irresponsibly call for mob violence against an innocent man. Whoa, nobody said anything about mob violence. Sure you did. Own it already. You want my client, a father of three with no record, in prison, right now, no trial, nothing. Come on, Rick Chad, let your inner fascist out. You know, that's a funny thing about Harlan's books, is that there's so much love in them. There's plenty of intrigue, and great action, and and humor, too. But man, when characters love each other in his books, it's so meaningful. There's been many times during recording where... I'll get choked up and so will the the engineer or director. We all kind of stop and we comment on it and we say wow. I love reading his stuff.
0: Yeah, he's he's wonderful and it's wonderful listening to you read his stuff. Thank you so much. No, not at all. But you know with Harlan's books and and with others that you've done too because it's one thing doing the voices but there's also this narrative through line, you know, that action has to keep moving forward. The pacing and creating tension in the narrative that you need to do as the narrator. Is it instinctual how you how you go about doing that?
1: It's mostly instinctual, but also there's a technical, uh, something that I, I learned or rather was taught in college. Uh, there was a great book called The Art of Interpretation. Uh, that I took as an addendum to my, um, my acting, my theater program. I went to State University in New York at Purchase, uh, SUNY Purchase, as it's known. And in my acting class, we studied this book called The Art of Interpretation, which spoke about the, the techniques and the challenge of presenting material, literature, even s- just speeches, motivation speeches, on stage at a lectern, uh, in a presentational form. And one of the things was to, I think, match the action as written as much as one can. So years back I did, um, Stephen King's It. Oh yeah, you did. Which has gotten a lot of uh, acclaim. And, and one of the things that happened, because it's such a long damn book, uh, was that you begin to fall into the rhythms as he writes. And so during chase scenes, you are out of breath and moving fast. And during the more intimate, quiet scenes, you you slow down and it becomes more quiet and, and close. And so and mostly it's a function of the writing. Again, it's the map that you follow. You just find yourself running when things speed up. But I also realize that I'm, I'm learning. I've had the luxury of learning while I'm working. Uh, my early stuff I don't think was paced properly. I was trying to... I was going for clarity rather than uh, more emotional truth. But the more I have done it, uh, the more relaxed I've become, and the more I realize that readers can follow you as long as you're telling the truth, as long as you're being faithful to the, to the Word, You don't have to be as slow or clear as this, you know, because they can hear people can hear you.
0: I want to go back to Stephen King's It for just one moment. I don't like being scared. And when Mm -hmm. I said to my housemate, I'm listening to Stephen King, and he just looked at me and he said, how's that working for you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, I did it a long time ago, but I remember doing it, especially when doing Pennywise, the clown, I don't know yeah. where I was going with that, but, but oh. I let myself go deep and dark. And and I tried to do things vocally that do scare me, uh, that if I ever heard them, I really would just get the hell out of there. That That was really the only time I could say I... I kind of contacted a place in myself that, ooh, you know, I'm not sure I wanted to be here too yeah. long.
0: I often listen to audiobooks as I walk my dogs. But with it, I at a certain point, it's just like, I'm not listening to this on the night walk at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. S- Sorry. No, it's all right. It was good. You were good. My comment about it was, you are not afraid to go big.
1: I, I think I needed to. First of all, it's 1,200 pages you know a lot of people are familiar with the story and it's it's stephen king you can't you can't shirk he laughed aloud the sound of solitary childish glee a bright runner in that gray afternoon as a vagary of the flowing water took his paper boat into a scale model rapids which had been formed by the break in the tar the urgent water had cut a channel which ran along the diagonal, and so his boat traveled from one side of Witcham Street to the other, the current carrying it so fast that George had to sprint to keep up with it. Water sprayed out from beneath his galoshes and muddy sheets. Their buckles made a jolly jingling as George Dembro ran toward his strange death.
0: I'm curious about, as an actor, the difference when it's just your voice and you don't have any physicality to create a character. If you can describe that, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear about that.
1: Hmm. Well, I guess it's, it's a little difficult because as an actor you use every facet, uh, every tool in your kit. But when you're confined to having your voice as the only tool... For me, it's a little harder to estimate uh, if I'm getting the point across. or If I'm expressing something properly, frequently I will overdo it, uh, thinking that if I don't have my body in play, then I'd better indicate as such uh, vocally. And that that is often a mistake. I just think it has to do with uh, imagination. And again, my, my love of, of radio and uh and voice acting, which dates back to my youth, I think has helped me find a, a reasonable way of, of acting using only my voice. Um, again, it's been a learning experience. I've had to figure out what to do and what not to do. But I, I, I don't know if I could, I could list the ingredients of how one does it. One of my favorite uh, readers was Frank Muller. And uh, I, I got into him after just hearing his name, really, or, or reading his name. And I listened to uh, some Dickens. I listened to um, Tale of Two Cities that he did. And Moby Dick I listened to. And it's, it's incredible. And, and he, to me, is the master of, of everything that, that I aspire to be in, in audio book world. Um, he had great clarity but wasn't afraid of pace. And also his way of characters, his way of characterizations was very subtle, but absolutely clear and defined.
0: Exactly. The man could tell a story.
1: Yes. And and didn't hurt to have this kind of velvety, whiskey voice. He had a beautiful voice. That was, that was an approximation of it.
0: The toolbox is smaller. You just have your voice. But then again, you have a far greater range of characters you can play.
1: Well, yes. And uh, look, that's, that is that—is one of the great beauties of being a voice actor primarily. I know people who do lots of animation, and they rarely look like the characters they portray. <laughs> and to me, that's the the best definition of what an actor should be. It's the ability to play any character if you can. Uh, it is one of the beauties of being an audio a voice actor. And look, doing these books, Harlan's books and all the other books that I've done, uh, have given me a great opportunity to play to play women. <laughs> to play Hester. And to play Hester. <laughs> to play, you know, feisty Jewish woman, but, you know, is an ass kicker. To pl- I, I don't think I would be up for that role in real life. Well, theater, film, television, there's such
0: collaborative arts. And... Then you're in a booth recording and perhaps you're working with a director or an engineer, but basically you're doing it on your own. You're not reacting to somebody um, or somebody isn't reacting to you. If you can talk about the difference about doing it on your own versus working as an actor in a company with
1: others. Hmm. Well, there is a solitary and even meditative aspect to Doing audiobooks. You're right, as you describe it, you're sitting in a frequently small booth separated from another human being by soundproof glass. There's something incredibly calming about it, it forces a kind of introspection that's very basic to being an artist in a way. Nobody is born on stage in the middle of an ensemble. You develop an affinity or a a desire to express yourself creatively by yourself in play, often solitary play. And it expands as you grow older to uh, imaginary play with with other friends and role play and all that stuff. And the differences between working in a, a theater company are obvious. And yet you're still employing that same component of imagination, except with more people who are doing the same thing, and and hopefully when they intersect, they do so with with sensitivity and uh, and excitement, and uh, I guess frequently they do. Yeah, you're you're your own master sitting in a booth, but also you have to understand that after you're done with it, uh, the the recording is given to other uh, gifted artists, like the editor, the sound editor, the producer, and. Um, there's other things that go into it. There's music, there's presentation, there's mixing. All those things require craft and technique. So it's never solely you. I mean, the, the I guess the voice actor obviously is gets the, the lion's share of attention. But if it weren't for everybody else who's involved in the recording process, we wouldn't exist.
0: It's like serial collaboration.
1: It is. It's a different kind of collaboration, yeah. It's a collaboration that happens sequentially. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Well, with L.A. Theatre Works, the production of A Walk in the Woods with Alfred Molina, it was just your voice, but you got to use it in very good
1: company. I did. And also we did it in front of an audience, which is also fun and also reminiscent of uh, those kind of old vintage radio shows, again, which I've always loved. I love the idea of sitting in an audience and watching actors on stage cupping their ears and (laughs) holding Holding a script and standing in front of a microphone and uh, interacting in a very special way, in a different way. And it, it actually re- requires the audience to do work as well. It's not passive. They've got to fill in the blanks.
0: Describe the premise of LA Theater Works productions in general for people who might not know.
1: LA Theater Works, for decades now, have presented uh, classic plays, I think some original works as well, in a radio format. Uh, and they attract uh, great actors, uh, great directors, and basically they are the kind of radio touring company of, uh, of theater. They've even taken their productions uh, overseas uh, and performed them in front of foreign audiences using the same kind of radio premise where the actors enter and exit on stage to stand at microphones, and then there's a Foley a Foley guy or Foley gal, Foley being the, um, the people that do the live sound effects on stage that accompany the action. And LA Theatre Works has been a fantastic resource for people who miss or can't get to great plays that are both current and classic. And like I say, it's um, it attracts great talent in many ways because it's an easier way of producing a play. It's not uh, six weeks... Or eight weeks of rehearsal, it's a couple of days of rehearsal, and then you start doing it, uh, standing on a microphone and recording. And um, a lot of the time, they are done live, like I say, in front of um, audiences. Uh, Andre, I appreciate your desire to become friends. Indeed, in many of my former negotiations, I did become friends with those on the other side. After a successful settlement, not before. I see. I think it's important. For us both to remember that there are issues here of course which must be resolved certainly making friends is a well, it's a fine thing but not on someone else's time so to speak <laughs> do you follow me oh yes when I took this post it was to bring something new here a new formula a breakthrough yes yes a breakthrough a plan I personally helped develop for more than a year wonderful welcome a new man with a new plan <laughs> I didn't have to come here, you know. I could have stayed behind my desk in Washington. Someone more like McIntyre could have been chosen, but since I have a firsthand knowledge of this proposal, and since I myself have a strong record as a negotiator... At the lower level. At the lower level. And it is really fun, and people, people love it, and it's not just an old person's game here. It's, everybody loves it. My, one of my favorite stories to tell is that uh, when my two sons, who are now 17 and 19 years old, were younger I want to say 9 and 11, 10 and 12 I can do math too <laughs> I would listen to classic radio as we drove, as I drove them to school. And they got so into dragnet from the 50s, <laughs> okay, with Jack Webb, that frequently, and I'm not exaggerating, frequently, we would have to stay in the car and finish the episode before they wanted to get out of the car and i was so heartened to realize that it still works it works it's the imagination it's it's drama you don't need it played out in front of you you use your your head you use your your heart when you're listening you bring yourself to it and and it worked on my young son's dragnet of all things
0: that's fabulous <laughs>
1: I wonder how you choose what projects to take
0: on as a narrator.
1: Well, I mean, I I don't have the luxury of choice. Uh, they um they kind of come to me. Uh I'm I'm so grateful for Harlan Coben uh, because he's given me a lot of work and uh he seems to like what I what I'm doing with his uh, his books. Um I've I've tried to get projects going. I've tried to I've always wanted to do uh, uh, a re-recording of a Spoon River anthology and I've been trying to do that. It's one of my favorite uh, collections of poetry and I think it's really pertinent and beautiful and I've read it a lot and uh, I've always wanted to do that. So I, again I really don't have the luxury of choice. It just comes to me. I'm, I, I, uh, at the end of the day I'm an actor and I have to, I just wait for the phone to ring. Well the phone rings a lot because you do a lot. Well, I'm I'm very lucky, but the reality of an actor's life is that for every credit you see listed one after the other, there's months <laughs> frequently in between each job where you're not doing anything.
0: I can hear that. I I just wonder what your thoughts are about what the attributes of a good narrator might be, whether you're thinking about your own work or other narrators that you listen to.
1: Oh boy! Um, first of all, I'm so flattered that I'm even speaking to you about this because I, I, like I say, I still am learning, trying to figure it all out. But for me, it's humor, it's pace, it's uh, absolutely tone of voice, it's accuracy. Um, I, I try to be as accurate as possible with pronunciation and names and uh, and places, exotic place names, etc. But I think if somebody can really allow themselves as a narrator to get into the heart of a character and a story and not be afraid to go deep and to be emotional rather than just a kind of objective narrator. Narrator, to me, is a, is an inadequate term, especially if you're acting. A narrator is just about exposition to me. And this is so much more. It, it, it really is. It, it, I guess it has to be. The things that I'm very proud of, in the audiobook world, are the things that people have said that I, I've, I've managed to move them or scare them or amuse them. And that's a function of obviously the writing, but also allowing myself to, to go deep and to follow the route and to become the action in a way. If you're running, then you have to be out of breath. If some hideous beast or monster is chasing you, well, then you better be damn scared. And that's important for me. And it's it's actually fun. It's what I'm it's what I trained to do. So uh, why not do it?
0: And that's a good place to leave it, I think. Stephen Weber, thank you. And truly, I want to thank you for the Harlan Coben that you narrate. I'm just falling into it. And as I said, right now, it is exactly what I want to hear. So thank you.
1: No, that's wonderful. He's a—he's just a, a wonderful writer to read and to speak. Um, I encourage anybody who's reading his books to speak them aloud because they are fun. It's really a lot of fun to read.
0: Yes, I can hear that as I listen to your narration of it. Thank you for giving me your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.
0: I did as well. Thank you, Stephen. That's actor Stephen Webber. You can find reviews for Steven's narration of Harlan Coben, Stephen King, and A Walk in the Woods at audiophilemagazine.com. And subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you get your podcasts. And then leave us a rating on Apple because it really helps people to find us. This has been a bonus edition of Behind the Mic. I'm Joe Reed. Good listening.